and welcome to another episode of Flail Forward, the podcast about game design and amateurism. Seriously, this podcast is mostly about amateurism. Um, I am your host, Fred. Well, I'm your host for tonight, Fred. And I have with me Kar Esnaur, or Kar. Hello. And Mr. Jonathan. Hello, folks. And Cavoir. Hello. And Jonathan's evil twin, Mark. Hello. Oh, good one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Roberto. Hey, it's Roberto. All right. Me amo Roberto. <laughs> bueno. Um, so tonight, uh, to relieve the tension of what we're talking about tonight, I'll tell you already, because we're talking about tension. Um, and we're especially, you know, tension in role-playing games, how we build it. Um, so essentially, we're just going to talk about Dread for two hours, Call it night. There we go. <laughs> um, but the first thing... And paranoia. I would, uh, yeah, we could talk about paranoia too. Mm-hmm. Sure, fine. Um, the first thing I wanted to uh, bring up and discuss is what is tension? Um, I'm assuming most people vaguely know what that is, but we could probably uh build a definition that we can use so that we have an understanding of what we're talking about um and especially because tension is different beyond different mediums we can talk about what it means to the role-playing games so what the fuck is tension guys (laughs) um putting us all on the spot with this question yeah there you go we we enacted it we role-played it for everyone listening (laughs) All right. Um, so let's see. Uh, how does the, one dis- the anticipation of an unknown outcome? Oh, that's a pretty good definition. Um, what what does that mean? Can you expand that a little bit? Um, I don't know uh, if I can. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just I was trying to just describe what I imagine it is when I'm uh, either asked to roll or waiting to roll for something Um, or knowing that in the future, I'm going to have to deal with an issue uh, with regards to uh, role-playing. Like it's the things that I don't know that build tension, not the things that I do know. So I think I think there is also an aspect of like, you know, or you have an expected outcome in mind that you don't want. Like there's maybe Ah. the possibility to like avoid it or circumvent it or uh, escape it. But I think there's also a tension that's built from like knowing what's going to happen, but the time or the like uh, separating it from yourself in some way also gives it some, some of that anticipation, I guess, some of that, that tension. Yeah, I was going to say something like that, too. It, the Part of it's a misalignment between your desire, your desired outcome of the situation and the current situation. Hmm. Yeah, and it, it's kind of interesting. I thought that um, I just like I do when we talk about definitions, I want to know what the world thinks the definitions of of these words are. And 
it's it's not what we're thinking. <laughs> it's very simple, at least in this here. It says a uh, mental or emotional strain. Hmm. Mm, that's okay. I I see what you mean um, in a very broad sense of the word. Uh, like that is tension within um, within like the world. It's like oh, I'm very tense today. You know, I'm I have some some strain on me. I'm very tense. But at the same time, that's not the dramatic tension I think that we're talking about. No, sorry. When I said what the world thinks, I just meant what the definition definition is on. Someday. The dictionary is not wrong, but that's not no, I, really yes, practical right. for our purposes right uh, now. I understand yeah. that. I just, I like to know how it compares. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, I mean, that's not ex totally different from what we're talking about, because, like, the tension we're talking about is a um, input into the tension that Jonathan is, um, Jonathan brought up. You know, there's that, that tension, that, the dramatic tension, that, as I said, that we're talking about. Um, kind of feeds into that that feeling of tenseness that um, the definition that Jonathan brought up. Okay, so is there anything specific then about tension in role-playing games? I mean, uh, if we're talking about the unexpected, um, then I think we have to like bring up, well, we can start with dice um, because dice are a thing that introduces some amount of tension because you go, okay, I'm rolling a d20 and I know that I need to get a 15 or above to succeed at this task or Traitor. whatever. You should have been, you should have been rolling 2d6, etc. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, when rolling, also, that's not really expectation. It's, it's about certainty. Um, well, dice. The result yes. is the expectation. Like, what's going to happen from the result is about expectation. You are certainly going to roll dice unless something goes horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> okay, so you roll 2d6, and uh, you want to get that good 10+, plus, um, because that's obviously the best result. So then, but when you roll, you don't know what is going to happen. So for that moment between, okay, roll the dice for me, and then you looking at the number and deciphering what that means, there is some tension because, you know, you don't know what is going to happen. And one of the outcomes involved in that is bad things for your character, or at least one of the outcomes involved in that is bad things that happen to your character. Yeah, um, I think, and I've been thinking about this um, as I've been mulling over the topic that the the fact that there's an outcome one way or another is sort of secondary to what that outcome is even even so much to saying like something bad happens like even that's not enough quite to to build tension and so the whole build up to the the dice rolling um becomes really important so the the how does the game get to the point of rolling the dice is the well Sorry, go ahead, Car. That's sort of oh, all I had. Oh, I was going to say, uh, yeah, <clears throat> everything that leads up to the roll builds tension. The roll releases it. Yes. And maybe sets up a whole new tension. Yeah, but yeah, potentially, yeah, for sure. Hmm. No, you're you're right. I was 
I was trying to bring forward a, a concrete example of something that happens in most role playing games. But you're no, right. There's, you're right too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is the thing. It is the thing that gets us there. Yeah. But the yeah the the tension um, like that that narrative tension we can call it um, within role playing games where you don't know what is going to happen partly because it is a collaborative thing and thus you know suddenly a curveball can be thrown by somebody else or you know you're hanging over the precipice and what is going to happen so there's always some tension in there just because you don't have full control totally i think another concept that's interesting to bring up while we're on this idea is that um you need to build tension because if you're in a state of constant tension um or of like high action versus like uh, after high action after high action uh it becomes very draining so the most um rewarding um like I guess uh, conclusion to tension is that it happens in increments to the point where you build up to like a final climactic moment, and then that tension is released. Yeah, there has to be an ebb and flow in tension. You you can't if you re remain at a too constant level for a long time, you get you either get bored by it or made anxious by it if it's too mm -hmm. high mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's that's certainly true that that flow and yeah having high tension it's like uh the good example is if you're watching an action movie you know it's not action for two straight hours there's the action scene and then there's the figuring out what to do next scene and then the action mm -hmm. scene um because if you have, you know, if you're in that, if you're in that action crazy fight all the time or whatever it is, that's too tense. It's draining. It's yeah, it's stressful. Yeah, that's why most movies only have three, maybe four action scenes because you have you have to set up a cycle. So okay, so then moving that question to role playing games, is there a way that we as designers can put that in? Um, I actually, going back to a topic we discussed earlier, uh, downtime, um, like we can talk about, I'll, I'll keep it um, culturally broad, but like the the rests you can take in fifth edition D&D &D or other, other editions of D&D &D as well, but that's the one that's on top of my mind, um, where you go, okay, we fight and we adventure and then we have to rest for a bit to, you know, relieve the tension. So no longer are we worried about our HP because we've spent one of our um, uh, eight, uh, hit dice to get back some HP. So there's not as much tension and we're not worried about having to fight at the moment. But are, I mean, are there other ways of doing that? Are there, are, is there general rules that are about that are good for that? I'm not sure if addressing all RPGs as um tension or as the the goal is tension is sort of does i don't know I, i'm having trouble like although i know there's tr tension in dnd i'm having trouble using dnd as an example of sort of um tension in role-playing games 
Is is uh, that because all of D&D's tension comes from its resource management? Like that's the source of tension in D&D. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you can get pushed to a point where, you know, if you're low on your resources and you can't make it to wherever you need to, then that that can be tense for players, but I I guess because I'm not sure that it's D&D's goal to be tense. Um and I I think it's just often not tense. Uh, even when we're in situations that I don't know, seem pretty benign to the player. Uh, anyway, anyway, that, that I'm just having, I'm struggling with thinking of D and D as tension building. Okay, well then let's actually. I hadn't. The reason I said I'll keep this culturally easy um, is I had another example that I think does it much better, which is Blades in the Dark. Uh, which has a much more structured downtime um, and I think is trying to be something that it is tense. Um, you know, so in Blades in the Dark, you are at, you're in the job, you know, you're doing the heist, you're in a score. Um, and that is generally kind of a tense thing, or at least it's supposed to be. Um, and so you have that tension, you have that tension, and then you finish the score and you have downtime where, you know, things go a little slower paced, you spend a little coin, you can just kind of kick back for a bit. Discuss the score, think about what you're going to do next. And that is that big release of tension, although there is some tension ebb and flow within the score as well. That is the the main release of that tension. Is that a is that a better example? Yeah. Um in in my play experience with blades in the dark the thing that happens as far as building tension i mean there's lots of things that you know sword fightings and harm and stuff like that but the background to that is these clocks that the gm drops on the table and they're all different dangers coming to you and they're ticking down and at the in the meantime as you're taking actions you're building up stress and so you have this build up of 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 stress or or a diminishing of resources meanwhile this danger is getting closer to you so i i think that's a good example and it it shows Blade, how blades clocks are a much better tension tool than even its own um job downtime cycle or even the <clears throat> adventuring downtime cycle in D&D, which a lot of times turns into an hour of combat and five minutes of rest and then another hour of combat. There's, that's, not a, that's not cyclical to the players. Hmm. No. Well, and then also don't forget that Blades in the Dark directly incentivizes tension by giving you XP for when you take a risky roll. Yeah. Yeah. De- de- I mean, desperate, but I get what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, not risky. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? But like, it, it's it's giving the players a direct incentive to actually create tension. Mm-hmm. So we have to, we, I, I mean, and D and D does not do that. It, it all of its tension building is disincentivized. Interesting. Um, so that's a, a good example. Um, why don't we try ripping that apart a bit? What, what's bad or what can go bad in that situation? Uh, which one? Blades in the dark. What can go 
bad in terms so, of so so the the situation that i just pointed out you have these clocks ticking down and you have mm -hmm. your your stress ticking up and uh, yeah so what can go bad in that situation i guess like going too far you mean like, well if, okay if so i'll i'll say what i was thinking like there there's some control um that the the gm sort of has to have on that situation um and I know that good things happen when you stress out in, in blades. Like it's it's sort of sort of supposed to incentivize you to keep getting worse and worse and worse. But if it can get to a point, if there is no release, like we talked about before, like if you don't complete the mission um, or not in a satisfactory way, then that can sort of explode and it can make the game unsatisfying. Hmm. Okay. Because it builds tension so well. <laughs> so the, yeah, the... Um, hmm. yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay. Hmm. How can it go wrong? So, <clears throat> oh, sorry. I think there's a, a just a possibility of a, a GM um, and or players a combination that that doesn't work and maybe hmm. maybe the game works fine, but the inexperience of a players and or gm in that game can cause it to have problems right because i i thought i'd like my take on it when you were saying what could go wrong was sort of like if you have a mechanic that builds tension um like you could end up like tension also associates in my mind to risk or um i guess potential failing or like you you have a lot of opportunity for um, the core structure of the game to break down because you have a really nice ramp up, maybe not necessarily a de-escalation or like if the resolution goes too far, then you have um, catastrophe. Like you have uh, an irreparable situation in the fiction, which is very difficult to recover for players and a game master. Um, so. Hmm. Mm. Hmm. I don't think it actually gets there. I mean, generally speaking, I the Blades in the Dark, at least in my experience, doesn't does like there's all it always gives you an out of some kind. Um, yeah, it doesn't and, really enter a fail state all that often, as far as I can tell. So, so I have some ideas of what you mean, but maybe you have some specific okay. things that you can point to. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Sorry, I was asking, but I guess what I mean is like the the trauma. Um, it really gives you an easy out. Um, mm -hmm. Death is off the table. Yeah. And but you also and get you XP for trauma too. Don't forget. Oh, so exactly. Yeah. That's you what I'm saying. That as well. It's, oh. it's trauma as a as a good thing as a release. Like the release mm. is the trauma. Right. Uh, okay. There's an outcome. You know, it's not as good as you wanted, but it's still interesting. Yes. Uh, yeah. I've been I've been playing with that idea because I don't do a I don't do a trauma thing, but like I I feel like it would be thematic for my game to do a trauma thing, but at this point I'm like I don't really want to. You kind of do have a trauma thing. It's called dread. Yeah, yeah, I do, but like I mean, it's not like a your character is altered in some way. Like I I, I feel like I could take the distinction system. And then drop trauma on top, like as a layer of that thing. So, like when your party your party gets 
too stressed or something like that, you choose one of your party members to become traumatized and they replace a distinction with a trauma that like sort of, or temporarily replaces it with a trauma. I, I, I don't know, but like, it feels thematic for that to happen. I'm just sort of like hesitant to build in any more scaffolding into the game than I already have at this point. I mean, it wouldn't take yeah. much. It's just more of a, it's, it just feels like maybe it would be too, what, uh, too uh, tacked on. Well, it's, it, I think yeah. it also depends on whether or not it's necessary. Like, it sounds like what I'm getting from Blades is that there's, like, when we're talking about tension, you need that ramp up. But if you don't have the ramp down or the de-escalation or the resolution, then it's not satisfying. Like, that's, and Blades has solved that sort with their own mechanisms and there's an exciting way to de-escalate or resolve tension um much like the jenga tower falling in dread is like the the sigh at the end of that that part of the game where you get to breathe and if your game already has a mechanism for like de-escalating that tension or using that tension towards something proactive then you don't necessarily need multiple outcomes you want to feed into the things that your game already does well yeah yeah uh, no i agree i i agree with that in general it's just it, it's just like i there's you know there's an underlying sort of theme of change um in ashes and so like that's that that's the axis on, along which i think it would be justified because there's um you know uh recovery from trauma is part of the part of the the the, the, the fabric of how I how I picture the game. I mean, it is about like you have this loss in the beginning, and then mm -hmm. it seems maybe a little weird that you can't acquire new losses during the game, but you can't. So I, I don't know. It's something I've struggled with. So like, mm -hmm. is, do I add this additional source of tension, right? Or do I say no, no, no? I got enough. It can do enough things, and then you know, sort of let let that the game be good enough at that point for that for that. It seems to me that mode. if you were to add a tension strata into it, it would need to be co-equal with dread or else it would yeah. feel superfluous. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably true. Yeah. I think one of the, the things that one should take away from like the blades trauma is that it's, it's a way out, but it has a, it has a cost. You yes. know, you relieve that tension but then you have to kind of pay something going forward. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that's, that's the important part is, and a lot of, a lot of blades is there's a way out, but generally it's going to cost you. Right. Um, and, and that's true with a lot of role-playing games is generally, if there's an easy way out, you have to pay a resource, um, but blades does it really well. So the thing I would say is to you, like, okay, what does that cost? And, does there need to be that way out? Right. Those would be the considerations I would, I would take. And to the point of de-escalating the tension, I think it needs to be stated that the de-escalation needs to happen, but it doesn't have to be what the players want. Mm -hmm. No, that's a good point. No, yeah. it, it certainly does not. Like in a blades in a blades heist. There's three general outs for a heist. You succeed, you have a tactical retreat, or you get caught. 
they they're generally you succeed ultimately. I I don't think there's a lot of room for you get caught without you breaking out of it. I could be totally wrong, but no, it's about right. Like the get caught stuff is like happens in downtime, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's generally set up that you can get out, though there's usually a price for getting out, right. um, and a pretty high or, price. Or putting blades aside, just narratively, the the, the mm-hmm. outs for any situation are succeed, tactical retreat, and catastrophic get failure. caught or get yeah, yeah catastrophic failure. Yeah, and I, so I think we're pointing to like we take blades and like point to all these mechanics that do do this and do that with regards to tension. But I think if you take a game like whenever you do heists in D and D or whenever you try to do anything not D and D and D and D, it you because the tools aren't there. Um, if you want tension, the control of that is almost exclusively on the gm right not not even exclusively on the gm not even in D. like there it's shared somewhat between everyone at the table hmm. like the lion's share is still on the gm pretty much in every game but the players have their piece of it too yeah i and i i suppose i don't know if you think this but i suppose the players really have to buy in to it to the 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 goal i guess of tension uh it depends on what you're threatening them with sometimes you can just create it you know um it, it, but the, it's a narrative yeah they have to buy into the narrative yeah for the tension to work yeah. at all yes yeah i, I agree mm-hmm. with that yeah um but i don't think they have to necessarily buy into like the tension generating thing per se as long as they're along for the ride anyway, they, the, the tension I think will just arise as a natural consequence of them caring about the outcome of the situation. Right. Uh, yeah. I want to bring up, I know we've been on this a lot, but I want to bring up one very important th- thing that I think is very important in how plays release tension in a weird way. Uh, one of the guiding principles that they have that I think is very important is they're like, yeah, okay, and the fiction that inspires us, uh, a lot of times you'll, the payer the employer will double cross the employees. Don't do that in a role playing game. If they complete the job, pay them. <laughs> right. But yeah, that is actually central. Yeah. That, that I had forgotten about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Like you can do that once, maybe. And it has to be really, really, really significant when it happens. You know? Um, because then it's like you're 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 taking the trope of the game and just throwing it out the window. The trope is no longer do heists for a reason. It's be paranoid about everybody who hires you. You know, um, yeah. It it it's it, it shifts the it shifts the 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 focus quite a bit. If you, I think even if you do that once, the players are just going to be like paranoid for from now on, right? Because what yeah, they that- that taints the mood of the table for a long time. Yeah. Especially since coin is such an important resource to how the game, the game functions on a flow of coin. So if you deny the players that resource, it, it makes them unable to do a whole bunch of other things. And yeah, no, that has nothing to do with tension. 
it, it no, does. but you're right. The, yeah. the blades, what they do instead is they leave room for lots of other opportunities to double cross. Like it's like here's your money, but you know, fuck you, I'm gonna whatever move in on your territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or during the mission. Well, yeah, it's it's more interesting during the mission, even yeah. So okay, I I have a question. Um, do you guys show the clocks when you're playing blades or when you're running blades? Yeah, I even show the, I even sometimes show them when I'm running uh, powered by the apocalypse games where they originated from, and mm-hmm. definitely encourage them as just a GM tool. But that's its own thing, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I do. I do actually. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because that actually does increase attention. Like the players know what like if it's two or five right like that makes a difference in what they're going to do like what they're going to care about what they consider is important so yeah and because it's generally i would say you can it's narratively justifiable to show them the clock most of the time you have a sense of like how how bad the impending doom is or how far along you are in a thing yeah it's a meta representation of the 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 fictional mood Sure. What are you going to say, Jonathan? Yeah. Um, a lot of, not a lot. It, there's there's various sides to this debate, and neither are wrong, I think. But I I fall on the immersion isn't everything side of things. Um, and I I know John Harper also says, yeah, like you know, show them the clocks. Like it's it's part of the game uh, for them to be out there. Players can have clocks. Um, which is interesting, but some people in, and sometimes taking clocks from and putting them in games where they don't exist, sometimes it's better not to show them. Um, and just it being a GM tool. Yeah. I, I, I asked that because I was thinking about it as we we're talking, like, I wonder, cause you, you build two different kinds of tension, whether you show the clocks or not. Um, the one is one is if if they know there's a clock in play, but they don't know exactly how far along it is. There's you know that uncertainty. Um, but if you can see the clock and you know, okay, there's six segments and five of them are filled. So if we screw up one more time, you know the blue coats are going to come and get us or whatever may happen. <clears throat> and so it 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 is two different kinds of tension. I. I go with you guys and John Harper. I like to show the clocks because I, I like to show the players everything generally or pretty much everything. Um, I, I would say that players should see the clocks if the characters are aware of what the clock is for. Nah, it's all clocks. But if they're not, <laughs> then why show them the clock? They're looking at something that they have no context for. Because... Okay, so here's it, my... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jonathan. No, well, I mean, it's just a how belief of separation of player and character, like whether you can do it or not, um, or whether it matters. Yeah. Does the player knowing screw up the game? I... Okay, I don't think so. Sorry, were you going to continue, Jonathan? No, that's it. It's just some people, and this is one of those things. Some people think one thing, some people think another. It's hard to say anything definitively about it. Mm. Well, he- here's my reasoning, at least for Blades in the Dark. 
Um, I one of the reasons I really like Blades is it um, replicates that like heist movie feeling that I really like, um, and that part of the heist movie feeling is as an audience member, you kind of know a little bit more than the um, characters within the movie. You know, you know that the police are two minutes away, whereas the characters think that they're safe or whatever that may be. So for me, showing the clock, it's showing them that tension and giving them that, you know, what would be the shot of the, you know, the police cars screaming down the road in the heist movie. Um, the, The characters don't know that. And I've generally found that with my players, they're, you know, it doesn't matter that they know they can just divide those two things. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a matter of table culture. Like, if the players are, or if they have a predilection for metagaming like that, then don't show them the clocks. But if they can resist metagaming, then it doesn't matter if they show the clock or not, because they're going to act as if it's not there, because they're not metagaming. Mm, I think it's, well... I don't know because well I think it it makes more sense in Blades in the Dark because Blades in the Dark already makes use of movie tropes in the form of like game mechanics. They have flashbacks and they have um like cut straight to the action like they're 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 like jump cuts and smash cuts. Like there's there's I don't think it's weird to give to make the players put the position let me see put the players in position as the audience of the game that but they also have control of over one aspect and actually blades of dark they have control over a bit more than that maybe um but i don't th- i don't think it's out of line for what blades is going for yeah, i don't but- think i don't think the sh- the seeing the clock would work in an osr game you know mm-hmm. um i think there would be i think there's thematic reasons to hide it or show it that um Maybe not aesthetic reasons to hide it or show it. You know, if you're keeping with your game's aesthetic, and I think you should go with whatever reinforces your themes. Yeah, yeah. that's that's why I said like four blades. Mm-hmm. Though I'm the type of GM where uh, I well, I probably wouldn't run an OSR game most likely, but even that, I would if there was a clock, I'd be like, yeah, you guys can just see this. Because um, even if there's a bit of meta gaming. I don't know. I feel like that's okay. Um, yeah, but me. I would like just to sort of back up what Carr saying. Like, if you throw a clock in D anD D, which I have, you, you and say for example, it's like whatever guards are coming to the gate. But as players, you know, you do have you have no idea. But if it means the encounter will go one way or another, um, so if it's just for that, you know, surprise roll. And if the players know that guards are on the way, they'll do everything they can to avoid that surprise roll. Um, I shouldn't say they will, but it's 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 hard to resist. Um, and mm-hmm. there's just such a big mechanical advantage or disadvantage to those two things that it becomes important to the players. And yeah, totally, you can see the metagame going in a direction where the players aren't really playing true. But when when you see a clock in Blades that the guards are coming, you're like, shit. Like, you're not trying to engage the guards. 
you're trying not to. So you're just you're just doing everything you were already doing. You know, you still have to steal the thing or kill the person, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like like you said, and and I, everyone has pretty much said within blades, showing them is especially useful. But yeah, definitely not always in other other games. Well, I think I think it's also about what kind of tension you want to set because it's about what information is hidden and what information is revealed. Like there's certain aspects of um, like even, even the, the old GMing trick of like you roll dice behind your screen and then you make a face and then you just like proceed with the game. <laughs> like it, it doesn't need to mean anything at all, but you've, you've alluded to the fact that there is some hidden information to the players that creates attention. Um, and I think that there's something to say about that just as much as there is to say, like the guards are on their way. Like, what are you going to do? Um, So there's sort of a, I guess it's, are you playing at uh, sort of a a face value of like, this is what's tense about the scene, or are you playing at a meta level of there's something going on that's bigger than you understand, but like, I want you to be aware that it exists. Um, I think both work. It's just a matter of what what setting you want to establish for your game. Mm, yeah, and I've done the red herring roll as as a GM. In fact, I've made players roll the red herring roll. Mm-hmm. That's <clears throat> even better. <laughs> anything yeah exactly yeah yeah um it's shit where where was i going with this um like a, a lot of that is gm style more so than game design. Like if a game flat out says, you know, use red herring rolls, that's one thing. But if a GM just does it as part of their shtick, then that's just play style for for them in that table. Mm -hmm. And you have to know when to use that and how often to use that before it loses its effectiveness. For sure, yeah. Don't use it with a new group, in in my opinion. Um, Oh no, definitely use it with a new group, but don't use it (laughs) every five minutes. (laughs) And and there, ladies and gentlemen, is the distinction in GMing styles. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I I found that this is slightly off topic, so we'll jump back. But what I found when I roll dice that aren't meant for the players to know about, if, even if it's like for a real thing, they they get really suspicious of the red herring. So I tend to really avoid the red herring for a long time until it's like they understand how I do things. So that way, it it means something else once once I use uh, it. Uh-huh. Um. Or if the game goes on long enough, you use each player for a specific kind of red herring. 
<laughs> well, that's because you're playing paranoia at that point, probably. Yeah. Might as well just switch over Not to really, because it'll only happen maybe once or twice a session. But, and it takes a long time for the players to figure out the pattern. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I've never done that. Uh, and I've been in a lot of situations where I thought, oh, man, that'd be a good thing. But I... I prefer to um, view players as kind of equals and collaborators rather than like that kind of views them as outside the um, outside of your ideas. And so for me, like that's not the kind of tension I want to build. Like that's a, like I, um, they, they're, they're both and neither at the same time. And you have to know how to put them into each position effectively i see i I disagree with that i mean i i understand like the philosophy that you're coming at this which is different to my philosophy of how i think about gming game design um but i I, as i said i like to view them as equal collaborators um you know i'm so do i dirty story i'm not a but i'm not above Letting them do my dirty work for me. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I okay, I agree with that, but I think that I I don't think that I want them to do that dirty work, um, or I I want them to do that dirty work in a different way. I mean, like I know you play a lot of uh, PBTA, um, Fred, and that that to me is uh, a soft move. Um, and when you play, uh, part by the apocalypse, it's, it's built in when you make a soft move. Um, it's not in a lot of other games, but it doesn't mean those soft moves aren't totally valid, right? Like you, you know, it's just, it's not exactly the same, but it's like, oh, you, you hear something or whatever, right? Like it's, it's. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something, maybe there's not. But yeah, there's the uh, yeah, you're right, a lot of um, but in in part by the apocalypse, like so that soft move, it's like you could say, well, you left that up to the player, but you didn't. You just the player had to make a roll and the soft move is still in your hands. You just don't have dice to help you with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was well, I was specifically referencing like the the red herring roll. Um, yeah, but you're, no, you're, I understand. Right. You're right. But, yeah. yeah. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> okay. So then, okay. So what? Uh, actually, if we're going on this, we can then transition to what we've kind of been dancing around a little bit, which is what types of tension can we e- easily put into games? Um, and we've talked about. Uh, what what which which we call it like physical tension, like the tension that happens when you roll dice or when you pull something from a you know make a pull from the Jenga tower, red, or, you know draw a card from the deck. That uncertainty of what is this physical thing going, um, and then there's like the narrative tension that we mentioned earlier of you know I don't know what is going to happen in this situation because, you know, the narrative is a thing that you are creating 
with other people. So you are not fully in control. So there is attention to that, especially when the GM takes it and goes, okay, here's the way that everything gets fucked up. Have fun. Um, Can we call those fictional tension and meta tension? Um, yes, maybe (laughs) I think, okay. The reason I'm, I'm, hesitant to do that is because i don't think that i think those those terms are too broad um at least the meta one um because the that meta would involve other things you know i was purely talking about like the polls and stuff whereas meta tension could also involve resources no, meta, or... meta tension is jenga pulls and dice rolls and that stuff okay then what is um like Low, what is resource management? What do you call that? They're still fictional resources, so it's fictional tension. It's just a specific, we're getting into the next level of tension with that, I think. Oh, so it's a delineation of between these two. So, like, here's all the stuff in the fictional bucket, here's all the stuff in the meta bucket, and then, so like, fictional stuff would be tension regarding, um, in-game resources, uh, any sort of fictional situation that generates tension, and then meta tension would be, um, would that be dice rolls? That would be so so mechanical, mechanically generated tension that isn't that doesn't specifically yeah. arrive from narrative circumstances. Yeah, any any tension that is derived from or dependent on player action, derived from or dependent on player action. As opposed to character action. Right. Hmm. Okay. I sure. That seems perfectly reasonable. Um, I was I was going to delineate between um those I was going to delineate between what I call narrative tension and then go into I don't know what the hell I was gonna call it, like resource tension or something to like talk about. HP and coin and the things you have written on a paper that sort of exist in the fiction, but also mechanical pieces that are affected not totally by character action. Um, well, if we're talking about enumerated resources like hit points or inventory that mm, it's arguable, but I would say that they're still fictional resources. So they belong in the fiction bucket. Hmm. I, yeah, I, I know. I, I, okay. I see what you mean, but at the same time, I think that in my mind, there's a, something to be done with delineating between something that is purely fictional, like not knowing what is going to happen in the narrative, not related to like dice rolls. And then something that is um, like, I okay, I see that this number is ticking down and I'm tense because I'm scared that that's going to zero at some point. Or, well, a blades clock would be uh, meta tension because that's in the physical world. That's not fictional. But it, it's fictional. The in, players are in, looking at it and yeah, it's... It's mm, also... But it's to the characters, it's fictional. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, I think that the, these are not 
unfair delineations, but I think that um, they're not consistent. Good, well, and also like good really tension sort of mixes them up. Because the, okay, looking at a blade, having a blades clock on the table is one thing that sets up tension, but changing your hit points from sixty-seven to fifty-nine does not do anything for tension. It's just a reminder of tension. Yeah. Um, I think that those are just different kinds of tension. I mean, maybe not changing it, but changing it from eight to four um, creates a certain amount of tension because then you go, okay, if I take one more hit, um, I'm most likely dead or I'm most likely in a state I do not want. And that is something that creates tension of the type that Jonathan talked about, the you know, the feeling tense, the feeling uneasy. Um, rather yeah, but than it's the, the same change except for the proportion of the change. Mm-hmm. Hit points are like, a, you know, a 50-sided clock, you know, where the, only the last one or two matter. So it's, mm-hmm. I agree with you, Carr. It's, it, it's not the same. But, but I, but I think, I don't know, I, I, I was writing down games off the top of my head that intentionally utilize tension. Um, and when I did, they, they mixed the uh, physical, or what did we say, fictional and meta tension. Uh, if we're using those to describe, they actually mix those up and quite well. And um, I have um, Murderous Ghosts, dread and 10 candles and and they there's physical aspects and and um like physical player interacting aspects to those games along with um tension built within the the narrative of the game that work together really well yeah i think something that would fix the bucket metaphor is saying that they're not necessarily mutually exclusive yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, that's the that's the thing is that when I I talked about the, say the Jenga tower from Dread, is that ultimately that is just a representation of you moving towards the the death and the ultimate failure that is the you know end point of that and that is a fictional consequence. Um, yeah. And the thing with role playing game is that the um, the mechanical or the meta is patch the fictional because that's the that is the currency in which they operate you know fictional action mechanical consequence mechanical action fictional consequence that we've talked about before usually um or that's one of the main ways in which they operate i guess i should say but um all right so actually, let's talk about the Dread Tower for a second, um, just because I think it is kind of the, if we're talking about like tension or we're talking about something that's, we're trying to give a good example, like the Dread Tower is something that came immediately to mind because it works so well for building that um, very easily readable tension um, and just works for <clears throat> making, you know, making a, attention that is uh, very real because you have that that physical motion of 
pulling something out and seeing the tower wobble, you know, seeing that tension grow every time, you know, the action is tense and then the end result is loud and crashing and is, and that end result has a lot of tension build up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that is like an unparalleled piece um, for just pure tension building. I'm not saying that other games don't build tension, but that one I think is a prime example. It is. I think you're you're right because it hits on so many of your senses. Like there's a, a tactile element to it that I guess in a traditional RPG it it doesn't exist. Like the die can only do so much in terms of measuring what your chance of success or failure are or like building yeah, that tension. There's the tactile dimension of having a fistful of dice. If yeah. you're playing a dice pool game. Right. Or a or deck full of cards if, in a deck building game. And yeah. Or even if, it, even in a game with 2d6, like if you have the right size dice, they're easy to roll like Benoit balls. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that was funny to me. What? Uh, no, I think what Mark was getting is it, it, dread, the Dread Tower introduces a dexterity element into an RPG, which I, I actually can't think of another one that has a dexterity element where, like, the, you know, part of it is the character. Actual player skill. Yeah, it's actual player skill in, in performing a task, which is not something that RPGs generally go for. Like, there, I can't think of a RPG with a flicking mechanic in it. Um, I mean, there's Muscle Marines, and that has is that uh, is that is that a flick? That's mechanic? Uh, no, that's arm wrestling. But oh, you know, similar thing. No, I'm talking about like you you have like miniatures on a board, and then the way you attack with spells is like flicking a marble or a disc or something. You know, like where the actual skill of the player um, has has a direct effect on the game state. Um, hmm. Yeah. No, I I but understand. I haven't read Muscle Marines, but like maybe. Oh. Yeah. That's, I think that's, that's true, but I think with Dread, that's a little. Um, it's not quite the case. It it's just prolonging. So because inevitably that tower is coming down, no matter how good you are. Right. Um, so even though a better player might get a different game experience, better as in more moves, but it it eventually it's it all comes crashing down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I was just, yeah, Muscle Marines as a RPG that is dependent upon player skill, or in that case, I guess, strength. But yeah, I, I don't know of any flicking ones either, although that sounds rad. Keep that in the back of my mind. <laughs> sure, why not, man? <laughs> hey, if it works, it works. I don't know what that'd be good. Something. Mm-hmm. Something. And just to just to clarify, I I do think that like the dexterity point, uh, dexterity component like does exist, and that helps in a way to the tension because your task becomes physically harder and harder. But I also think that the the tower in uh, dread helps to sell the idea of like you you have to stare at it. It's in the middle of the table. Everyone's looking at it. It the game is centered around it. And it becomes like a physical representation of the yeah, game. Yeah, it demands focus. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, the game is about tension. So it, yeah, it works really well. Yeah. And, and that's, that's why it's a prime example, is that game mm-hmm. is, uses the, the 
Jenga tower and is a thing that is built around creating tension for horror. Yep. Um, but yeah, and that's like when Carr brought up the like the tactile feeling of dice or cards. You're right, but the Jenga tower is is so much more than that. Like it, yeah, it demands your attention. It's a it's it's a obelisk that forces you to consider how close you are to just being completely fucked. Well, my point was to not dismiss things that are not the Dread Tower from having any sort of tactile element. That's all I was getting at. Oh, well, yeah. I, I, I don't think any of us did, but I, anyway. Um, all right, so now, so actually, since I brought up that horror tension, I think we can go specifically into other into types of tension. Um, because I again we've been talking about this, but let's let's drill down a little bit. Um, and, and sp- not talking about the, like the narrative and the meta or fictional and meta or whatever we call those that I brought up earlier. Um, or that Car and Car talked about as well. Um, but talking about like the kinds of tension that those kinds of tension create within players, if that makes sense. Um, so we've you know you've got. Uh, romantic or sexual tension or like uh, uh, horror tension um, is, is within those uh, what are those kinds and what are there ones that work well within RPGs just survival that's that's a big one am I going <clears> to <throat> make it through or not that's a big that's the one represented by hit points <clears throat> another another wound states uh, survival is a big one I don't are there a lot of opportunities? I mean, I can only think of Monster Hearts one that could do sexual tension all that well because of its strings mechanic, but I can't think like I, th- I think Blue Rose might have had a sexual um, tension mechanic. I don't I can recall. So there's another Jenga game called Starcrossed. Um yeah. I think it's what it's called. Yeah, Starcrossed, which has um sexual tension, mm. romantic tension within a Jenga tower. Um, and then so what happens when the tower falls? You fuck or what? What's... Um, I th- no. I yeah, it's... you basically uh, you act that erectile dysfunction when the tower falls. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I think the game works with um, you are two people who uh, really, really want to, but really, really can't. Um, uh, and mm-hmm. then when the tower falls, you're the one who acts on their feelings. Um, one more game that I remember that has. Romantic or sexual tension in it is shooting the moon. Um, and that's all I wanted to say. It's because shooting the moon is great. Uh, but go, Car. Uh, I was just going to throw sanity points onto the table. That As... falls into the survival thing. Um... It's not the same thing. But yeah, yeah, survival is one thing. I think emotional tension, just as an umbrella term, is separate. Um, yeah, I don't maybe know sexual sanity. tension falls under that, and the only other emotion that games really play toward is fear. So, mm. um, I yeah, I don't know if that's no. I, I think the way Call of Cthulhu uses sanity points, it's a survival thing, because it's the it's the bucket of hit points that the monsters get to attack without actually hitting you pretty much so i to me it feels like it works along the same 
mechanism as as the hit point tension producer although you know in call of Cthulhu, you don't have that many hit points so like it it's they're the two it's like different scales of tension almost you know so like yeah it is because hit yeah. points is a physical tension and right. sanity points is a emotional tension uh I, I, yes but that's not the the two the two things I was talking psychological about. Like, tension yeah, but it's more like here's the here's the tension the monsters are like mess with, and here's the tension like humans mess with. Because generally speaking, what happens is if the when the monster attacks you in Call of Cthulhu, like hit points aren't a factor. You're pretty much that's it. Like generally speaking, but the humans are going to be the ones with like a gun or a punch or a knife or something like that that's actually going to go do hit point damage. But the the monsters and the entities that are you know that everybody's kind of hoping to encounter in a Call of Cthulhu game are the ones that do damage to this second hit point track. And I just don't, I don't see that big a distinction between the there's, two there's, in terms of outcome, except for scale and like what things in the game target them. Yeah. It's, there's not I much think, of a, there's not much of a mechanical distinction, but there's a perceptual distinction. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Like a, a fictional okay. distinction. Okay. Sure. Sure. Um, I, yeah, I think I, they're different types is what I'm getting at. Yeah, like, because one is physical and one is not physical, whichever, sure. whether you're going to call that emotional or psychological, and players respond differently to those contexts. Yeah, I, I, I guess, but my, my I think my point is that, like, that one, <sighs> I'm not stating this right, probably, it's it's like that the... We both agree that they're like basically two hit point tracks, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if you get to both the end of either one, you're not playing the game anymore, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, so that's that's how I consider them both survival tension because they're both like you. you here's the point at which you have you hit a game over state, and so to me that because those are both they're both that thing. They both fall into the survival bucket in a broader yeah, scale but, than just physical survival, but like keep continuing the game tension, I guess. Yes, I'll I'll grant you all of that. However, okay, one is Dorothy walking on the yellow brick road, and the other is um, Denzel Washington going down the highway in the Book of Eli. Like they're very different. Okay, as far as feel and theme and yes yeah all that i'll grant you all how that. they're how they're okay. taken up by by the players yeah okay fair enough yeah i yeah i i i think one of the things that i was going to say at that point is the um mechanical thing that it means to the players um not the fictional but like the tension that it creates within the players is pretty much the same across those two. They have very different fictional consequences, but ultimately the tension is the uh, survival tension, like Rob called. Either way, you uh, either way you swing it. Yeah, I think there's a. Di I mean, I think they're mechanically the same, but but fictionally different. I mean, obviously there's a different fictional feel when you're losing sanity points as to when you're getting shot. You know, so. I mean, I get, 
no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go on a rant on why sanity points are a bad mechanic. But <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for another night, Rob. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, in looking into types of tension, I just did a quick Google search and typed in exactly that. Um, and one of the first links that came up was four types of dramatic tension in novels or, I guess, drama or plays. Um, and I just wanted to to throw them out there because I think some of what we've talked about fits into these categories. Um, <clears throat> so they are the tension of relationships, the tension of the task, which is specifically about like the uh, obstacles in your way and an urgency to complete a goal, the tension of surprise, and the tension of mystery, which I think a lot of the different aspects of uh, establishing tension that we've discussed fits into these categories relationships is like predominantly existing in the fiction about who your character wants to relate to who they don't want to relate to or who they're enemies against tension of the task is very much like you know the guards are coming at a certain time this is the clock that's visible it tells you what is going to happen and what um might be in your way the tension of surprise is sort of like the rolling of the dice where you don't really know what's going to happen. Um, and the tension of mystery is the sort of red herring rolls or the secret rolls behind the, uh, or the, the hidden clocks and stuff where there's sort of a, um, a mystery element to it or an unknown aspect. Um, um, yeah, I think, I think the tension of the mystery just comes from the emergent narrative. More it's than, true. More than those mechanics, I think. I think it's like we don't know how the story is going to come out. It's more, I think it's m m more um, uh, sort of encapsulated in the in the narrative uh, that the players and the GM are building together. I think that's in in RPGs the the mystery tension comes from that more than anything else. I think. Yeah, it's but true. there are there are things that you can do to make the environment for that type of tension better in your yes. rulings. Oh you yeah, can... you can yeah, you can have mechanics that exploit any of those four, which I can't think of any situation that doesn't fall under one of them. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> another thing about RPGs is that a lot of situations fall under more than one of those kinds. Or directly lead from one to the other as part of the play loop. Mm. Mm -hmm. So you have like tension of the un you have tension of the task leads to tension of the unknown <laughs> rolling the dice to resolve the task or you know social mechanics where it's the tension of the relationship leads to if you're rolling to resolve that for some reason or you know and, and rob's right like pretty much everything has at least a tinge of tension of the unknown because it's an emergent narrative that the, the, the thing i had the thing i was talking about earlier where you're not fully in control ever within a role-playing game and that yeah the tension of the unknown is the not being fully in control not knowing what the outcome will be um and so even if you're not rolling dice because somebody else can suddenly say 
oh my god, Dracula or something. Um, then uh, well, they probably shouldn't in certain contexts, but you know, but we get what you mean. <laughs> oh or, my god, Dracula. <laughs> What? <laughs> oh dear. Squirrel. Oh, so the actually, um one of those tension types that I don't think gets pushed on a lot in role playing games that I like and part of the reason I, I like to I like um like monster arts and stuff is the um tension of relationships. Mm. Which is I mean, and I, I there's this I I understand why that's not in there because that's a hard thing to to quantify, I suppose, you know, to put down into rules. Um because it's not I don't think it's hard to quantify. I just I think a lot of games don't consider it worth quantifying. I um okay, yeah, sure. Um or I should I should say hard to quantify in a satisfactory way um, because like we exist within our own relationship er, within relationships. So it's hard to get a perspective on them that makes sense to everybody. So to quantify those in a way that is satisfactory mm-hmm. to everyone is a really hard thing to do. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and so I, like the uh, Rob brought up strings earlier, um, and that is, I think, a, a good way to kind of build into that relationship tension because you then, like, a string means you now have an understanding that someone has levered you, that they can at some point use against you or to get something from you. Um, and that is, you know, a good way to go, okay, there is now something uncertain about this relationship. Um, could because they have power over me. So now, what do I do in response to that? Right. Yeah, I think that's a good way of of setting up um, relationship tension in RPGs, mainly because it doesn't. Um, well, there's two things. One, it allows the the mechanism to be used on other players as well, and in a way such that the player knows that they can be compelled to do things with a string um, and that as an expected part of the game, it doesn't feel like their agency is necessarily being um, undermined in that case. And mm. I, you ne- I think you need that in any game where you have um, interpersonal relationships that the, 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 the PC characters are, are, are entering into without um, sort of without a safety net. You know what I mean? Like, cause in most, in most RPGs, what's going to happen is that there's a top down assumption that the players are all going to work together towards a common common goal. Um, and in games where they try and inject some measure of uh, relationship tension, um, oftentimes they don't take into account that it's at odds with the intent of the rest of the game. Um, I think many games that you see with certain uh, like social disadvantages, I can think of like GURPS or Shadowrun or stuff like that, where 
the 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 presence of one of these um disadvantages or flaws puts a strain on the 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 pc group um they don't they don't actually give the players tools to build and resolve the tension they just sort of say here's an element of the fictional fictional world that is true and could do with it what you will but they don't specify how how the game envisions it interacting or why it's important whereas something like monster hearts uh gives the players these things called strings that they can use to influence other npcs and each other uh right from the get-go so it's not like one player taking a, a disadvantage or a flaw and suddenly the rest of the table is now in this realm of uh having to deal with um a uh, relationship tension that maybe they didn't even sign on for when they're playing something like Shadowrun, for example. Um, but when you make it the a one of the core loops of the game, then you have the opportunity to really um, build out that tension in an intelligent way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us again, listeners. We hope you enjoyed this week's discussion, and that you'll join us again next week for the second part. Have a good week, and good games.